1: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is paid commercial programming. The content and opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of WSSP, Entercom Milwaukee, its staff, or sponsors. From Lake Michigan to the Mississippi and every river, lake and field in between. Let's talk everything outdoors.
2: All <laughs> you're on crazy train.
1: All <laughs> Welcome to the wacky Walleye cutting edge outdoors show. Fasten your seat belts for a wild ride through Wisconsin's outdoors. Only on 12:50 a.m.
3: The Fan. Well, good morning, everybody, and top of the morning to you. Hey, folks, we're here every Saturday morning from 6 to 8 a.m. We're live, we're unrehearsed, but you never know what might happen. But you can be part of the show if you want. Just give us a call at 414-799-1250. Or you can email us live at ceoguys at yahoo.com. And what do I mean by we? Well, he's Dan Bush. I'm Tom Newbauer, and Sam Schmitz is on the boards. Good morning, Danny.
4: Good morning, Tom. How are you?
3: I feel pretty good today. I didn't. Uh, I didn't get up early in the middle of the night, so I'm wide awake.
4: <laughs> well, that's that's good. Uh, I, as usual, my my to do this show, you wouldn't believe the amount of work that I do. Uh, I wake up at 3:30 every uh, Friday, Saturday AM, I guess. I look at the clock and think, okay, I'm gonna sleep one more hour, and then I get up to start the coffee. So at four, I was a little off. My, I've got my internal timer that normally wakes me up. I was five minutes late. I woke up at 4:35, put the coffee on, then I, you know, slowly, you know, drink that coffee, meditate about life, think about the show, uh, you know, do a, do a little bit of uh, channeling, talking with the spirits about what we're gonna talk about on the show. And then by six o'clock, I'm ready to go.
3: Oh, I don't do that much.
4: <laughs> no, you don't do much. Yeah, I'm doing all up. the work here, Tom.
3: Hey, I get up at four got... five. I take a shower. I uh, grab an orange or something out of the fridge, bring it and pour some something liquid to drink. I come downstairs to my man cave, turn on the computer, you know, and uh, I look at other. I look at a number of things, you know, but. Uh,
4: we, we, we don't want to know what you're looking at on the computer oh no Tom. not That's that okay. kind of stuff have... no 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 no
3: no 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 I'm no, looking no. actually i I look at uh, recipes
4: recipes
3: yeah, I look for the gut report
4: gut report recipes
3: yeah, I look well, at that stuff i mean usually you usually well sometimes i I'll, I'll look look it up the day before, but a lot of times I do it first thing in the morning, you know.
4: Well, not like me, you know. I do a lot of research. I'll I'll spend at least three hours a week researching what in-depth Hornswoggle questions there I'm going go. to have for that week. So you know, they really make it. You know, it's very educational here. That's why people listen to the Hornswoggle. They That's right. uh, you know, they learn something, man.
3: That's right. And we can, you know, it's funny. You mentioned that fishing is one of those things where you're always learning. You know. You never can know everything. Nobody knows everything, and you're always learning something. I mean, it doesn't matter how old you are and how much you fish. You're always learning stuff, you know. And I think that's what makes uh, fishing so darn interesting to so many people.
4: Well, one thing is, is I would say that you learn by your mistakes. Yep. And if you do make a mistake and lose a fish in some manner, You never make that mistake again. Hopefully, you learn from your mistakes. Uh, Like like losing a cell phone, Tom, in the lake because you carried it in your top shirt pocket. How many of our listeners out there have lost a cell phone because they carried carried it in their shirt pocket and they bent over their boat or their pier (laughs) or whatever? Because I did it. Did you? (laughs) Yes, and I knew better. I knew better. I always would get in the boat with the cell phone, and I thought to myself, now, whatever you do, don't put it in your top pocket. Right. But as I was pulling up to the pier for lunch with my with my father years ago, after uh, some musky, musky trolling, we were uh, pulling up. We were going to go to lunch at the waterfront, I think. And as I was tying the boat up, I leaned over, and bloop, there it went. And uh, nowadays, I think the new phones, Tom, can last underwater for a while. Uh, those old ones not so much and uh, and then I uh, I grabbed the net and I was kind of you know screwing around trying to see if I could scoop it up and then my dad turns around and he goes what are you doing and I just kind of hee hawed around and said ah oh, nothing and then I figured screw it it's gone because I didn't want to let my dad know that it had happened because you know how old people can be sometimes Tom they fret about it he would have been more upset than me about it if, oh, if I okay. told him, oh, dad, I lost my cell phone, he'd have been, oh, gee whiz, oh, you know, so I thought, just let it go. Don't let your dad get wound up about something.
3: Yeah. I think one of the things, too, is that uh, when people sit on their sunglasses, they they learn never to do that again. Sun- <laughs> sun- I've done that. Yeah, sun- I've done that. I- they gotta
4: make sun- make sunglasses that are, you know, uh, whatever, bulletproof, but maybe, maybe butt-proof sunglasses. We well, tested yeah. this with a 300-pound lard, lard, lard guy, and he sat on it. And they look at this; they bend, but they don't break.
3: Yeah, I, uh, I was fishing. Uh, there was a place called Poggles or Pagles. Uh, it was like a, a bar with a launch on it for up at the Bay of Green Bay, and. Uh, we were up there, and I, it was the first time I bought an expensive pair of sunglasses. Normally, I would just buy the inexpensive Polaroids, you know, the plastic ones. But this time, I bought a like a $50 pair, and I'm thinking, oh, this is really cool. And for some reason, I put them on the seat of the boat, you know, the driver's seat of the boat. And uh, after I got done tying up and went and paid for the launch and then came back, I, I proceeded to sit right on them. And uh, I never bought an expensive pair of sunglasses since. Because they knew what would happen. I know I'd sit on the darn thing.
4: Well, that's the Murphy's Law thing, Tom. Uh, Everybody says that. I think our listeners out there, fishermen, can relate. They'll tell you that if you have a cheap pair of sunglasses, you, you probably got them 20 years ago and you still got them. You never lose them. But the one good pair that you bought, you either lost... Yeah, rectum some way, you know, good expensive sunglasses that has a way of happening. I was fishing with with uh, my friend Mark on the Bay of Green Bay several years ago. And he had these very very nice the costas, 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 whatever his $150 pair and the gnats. I guess that's what they are. The black gnats. They swarm out there and they were so bad, Tom. And it was a hot, sweaty day that they'd drive you crazy. They'd be landing uh, on your face, and your ears, and, it, and, it, and they, they don't bite, but it's like itchy. And, you know, especially they'll get right up in between your, uh, your sunglasses and get in by your eyes and stuff and forehead. And he was going so crazy swatting them off his head that he swatted his $150 pair of sunglasses right off and into the Bay of Green Bay off the <laughs> Sister Islands, where they still reside today.
3: Oh, so, yeah. yeah oh, and how uh, many times have people, when they're in their boat driving, they turn their head a certain way, and there goes their hat flying off. You know? Yes. I've had that happen numerous times. Yeah. Now, that's hats? Why, well, that's why, Danny, whenever, when I had a boat, I always had extra hats in the boat, just in case.
4: Oh, in case you blew one out
3: <laughs> oh yeah because that would happen every now and then yeah so i had extra ones just
4: well don't you go around and go back for them
3: well yeah but then they're wet i don't want to put them on when they're soaking wet especially if it's cold out you know
4: yeah i guess so. you're right about that they do float normally for yeah, a while anyway yeah, and if you turn around move. turn around quick enough you can you can get them i had a couple clients many years ago and this one guy had this this big dorky cowboy hat on, right? Some straw cowboy hat. Oh, yeah. And, and his and his buddy kept kind of giving him a hard time about the hat. But he really liked that hat. And he was all telling us how he got such a good deal on it at some rummage sale, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, we were trolling, and I had about four planer boards out, and a gust of wind came along. Poof, went the hat. Well, being as you got a bunch of boards out, you can't just turn around and go back. Oh, so oh, by the can't. time I cleared some boards and made tried to make a wide turn and go back, that hat was nowhere to be seen.
3: Oh, it and, was a sinking hat. Huh.
4: Uh, it must have been. It was a sinking cowboy hat, the worst to have. But apparently it was some kind of valuable hat, according to the guy. And I was laughing. His buddy was laughing about it because, you know, here the one thing the guy's talking about is his great hat, and he loses it. But he was not happy. He was not a happy guy. Oh, I can it, imagine. It, it seems like the most valuable thing that you have that I, always happens. Like one time, I bought a brand new rod, right? Brand new fishing rod. I'm fo- following my father, driving up to northern Wisconsin to muskie fish, and I and uh, I had the this musky rod, and it would it would only fit in my '76 Trans Am if I put the butt end in the corner of the back window, angled it all the way across the car crossed the back seat past past my backrest and out the window of my power of, of my driver's side window I had to crack it open a, a couple inches and put the tip out right that was the only way I could travel uh that was the penalty I paid for having a fast sports car um but anyway a bear ran across the road it went behind my dad's truck and in front of me and I uh I I wound down the window. I put on the brakes and wound down my window to get a better look at it. So I wound the window all the way down. But then when I went to get going again, I hit the power window and wound it all the way up, not leaving a crack. And all I heard was a snap and my Uh new musky rod. I I snapped the end of it
3: right off Uh and never got a chance to fish with that. I think we've all done that once or twice, snapping tips off. Yeah.
4: Snap the tip off. Yeah. Now I wasn't a a cheapskate and going to try and go in and claim some warranty thing on it, but, um, it happened. And another time I was hunt, uh, fit hunting, I was fishing in Canada and a friend of mine had a brand new St. Croix jig rod for walleyes. And all I heard about was this great rod he got for Christmas. And, uh, I was on one side of the, one side of the Island with my dad and, and he was on the other side of the Island with our friend, Ron Johnson. And and in a quiet still morning, you I still heard this little bloop or splash, and then I heard the expletives coming out of <laughs> out of his mouth. He he had put in that, that expensive brand new rod in this cheap rod holder, one of those screw on rod holders you put on the side yeah. of the boat. Yeah. And the whole thing had tipped on down towards the drink. And the whole rod holder and, and, and the rod and reel, everything was often 30 feet of water oh. off an island on Nungesser Lake where it resides yet today. So oh, man. You always got to watch whatever new stuff you have. Watch it carefully for the first couple months. If it can make it through that honeymoon period, it'll probably be okay and last with you. But it's it, when you first go to use something... That you gotta watch them, kind of like a new girlfriend. You gotta watch them carefully. You might lose them right away. So you got it. As long as you can keep them a couple months, you might be more solid.
3: There you go. Uh, I was gonna say I got a, a funny, funny little story for you when we mentioned about sinking things. Uh, many, many years ago, when the Milwaukee Sports Show was held downtown, uh, where we I was in a booth, you know, with other people and whatever. Anyway. And this one uh, store owner came up to this guy who sold bobbers, all right. And he would sell bobbers by the barrel. I don't know. Do you remember a time when you could go into a store and it would be like a handful of bobbers for a dollar, or a handful? Yes. For $50, yes, whatever. I do. So anyway, so he, he, this guy, bought a barrel of bobbers, and he came up to the bobber salesman. And I'm not making this up. This is true. This really happened. He said to him, he says, "Hey, I got a I got a bone to pick with you." He says. I bought a barrel of your bobbers, he says, and they're, they're sinking. And the guy says, well, what's the problem? He says, well, because they're sinking. He says, oh, you bought the countdown model. And the, the store owner paused for a second, like, thinking, oh, is there a thing, such a thing like a countdown bobber? <laughs> and then he, of course, lit into him, you know, calling them all kinds of names. But I just thought it was funny when the salesman was so sharp to think real quick, oh, you bought the countdown model. But anyway. That's the countdown. Count, count count I thought down it was kind of cute at the time, you know, and it made the, made the store owner think for just about a second or two, you know. Uh, anyway. Hey, listen, we got a break to go to Danny. So, w- folks, uh, you stay tuned. Uh, hey. You know, get your tickets pumped for more. Uh, for, oh, jeez, I'll tell you what, I can't talk right now. So, I'll get everything figured out when we come back here at the Wacky Walleye's Cutting Edge Outdoors.
4: Welcome back to the Wacky Walleyes Cutting Edge Outdoors. I'm Dan Bush, along with Tommy, the true Neubauer. We want to thank all of our listeners out there. Uh, Many of them uh, we do get a chance to speak with, many we don't, but we appreciate all of you. We always take this time to thank law enforcement, first responders, military healthcare workers, and many of them are our listeners as well. So if you're working right now and listening, just know that we appreciate what you do as well as your listenership. And, Tommy, I want to, uh, I'm going to tease. Now, first of all, Tom, you've got a guest at 7 o'clock today. Is that correct?
3: I'm keeping my fingers crossed. You're keeping your fingers crossed. Okay. We'll, we'll know at 7 o'clock.
4: Okay. So you don't yeah, want to tease we'll it or you're going to leave it secret for everybody to yeah. sit breath. Okay. So Tom's going to leave all of you listeners out there breathlessly wondering who may be our guest at 7 o'clock at 6.30. I'm going to have a segment Segment that's going to be titled The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly.
3: You mean right and after the gut report, right?
4: Right, oh, no, of course, after the gut report. Okay, yeah, right after. Do it before the gut report, yeah. Okay, 6.30, whatever, 6.30, 6.33, whatever, that time frame, Tom. Okay. Uh, we're going to have the good, the bad, and the ugly uh, about fishing on a fishing barge in the Mississippi River because I did go this week. Yeah. So I Who'd got you go lots with? to talk huh? Who'd you go with? Uh, that's 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 top secret, Tom. I'm not oh, gonna okay. tell you till six thirty three after the gut report.
3: All right. So <laughs> All right. All right. I <laughs> No waiting. I
4: went with Arizona Joe. Oh, okay. Arizona that's all Joe. I'm just that's all I'm that's all I'm licensed to divulge at this time.
3: All right, good
4: so a couple announcements though tom uh let's see muskies inc now once again if you like to fish muskies on our area lakes you shouldn't be a a cheapskate you should go ahead and join the milwaukee chapter of muskies inc whether you go to the meetings or not kind of like me they do lots of good things uh they support lots of good causes they got a couple things going on uh looks like some opportunities minnesota muskie school uh, I'm just reading from their newsletter. It says, looks like seven days on Leech Lake with instruction and a guided trip out of Agency Bay Lodge. Cost is $1,795 based on three people. Uh, and then there's the uh, Capital City Intermediate and Advanced Muskie School. Uh, this, is, this must be held, oh, this is a new one, Tom, a virtual environment. Have you heard of a fishing school that's a virtual one? Well, now you have. It's oh, wow. going to be held over the course of three days. There's going to be nine classes offered that have been designed specifically for the intermediate and advanced muskie anglers. Registration forms instruction for registering online. You can go to the Capital City, Capital City Muskies, Inc. Just Google that. Get it, That's the uh, Madison chapter, and uh, you can get information on that one as well.
3: Oh, that's interesting. A lot of lot of musky schools out there.
4: Well, you know, even, well, I think Dale, our friend Dale uh I believe he's going to be having a walleye school. Yeah. I think he does it in April, and, uh, you know, it'll be open water walleye, of course. So there's lots of schools around. Now, the thing I like about Dale's schools is uh, they're really reasonable when you include the fact that you got, you know, his... Well, you know, five-star resort that you can stay at with all the amenities, and it's 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 not like you're staying at some, you know, even even nowadays, Tom. If you get some little, you know, ratty hotel in some small town, you're still probably going to spend sixty-five dollars. Well, you know, he he, you get lodging and you get everything and some meals normally included. Um, and, and, and it's at a real reasonable price, so I would highly recommend doing one of his schools, not only for the fishing, but just for being able to get away in a nice place and, and relax for a while.
3: Yeah, and especially, you know, when you're on a big body of water like that. You know, years ago, uh, I went up to uh, Hayward, Wisconsin, to fish. Actually, I was doing some TV shows on the Chippewa Flowage. Now, I think I'm a pretty good fisherman, you know, I'm not too bad. I know my way around a boat and lures and whatever but anyway but when I went up there, you know, you got something like 17,000 acres, I hired a guide for at least a half a day because of the fact that let's face it, where I? I don't know where to go up there, you know. I mean, there are some good better spots than others and and when you go up there, it all looks good. Every everywhere you go, it looks fishy. And so, you know, it doesn't matter how good of an angler you are. When you're on a big body of water, it doesn't, doesn't hurt to hire a guide for at least a half a day to show you the ropes, you know. So that's what I would recommend.
4: Yeah, that's not a bad idea, I guess. Um, you, you can just basically kind of shorten the curve. Yeah. Um, I, yep. uh, when I When I went to the Chippewa Flowage many years ago, I booked a guide, and then once I got out there, learned a few spots, and then, of course, uh, the guide was nice enough to take a map and kind of mark some other spots, and that at least got you started. Right. Um, That that at least was a good way to, you know, get started, especially on a a body of water as big as, like, the Chippewa flowage. Now, Now, you're a really smart angler, Tom. Let me ask you this. When you were going to fish a new bass lake for a tournament, for example, and you had never been on it, Prior to pre-fishing, what would you do? Did you get a map? What what would be your approach on it?
3: Well, definitely, number one, I'd get a map, okay, number one. Number two, I would go out at night with my he- heavy-duty spotlight, and I would uh, shine that spotlight along the airline areas, and if I saw bass along an area at night, I know they weren't going to be too far away during the day. So those were two things, of course, I'd always do, you know, dab the map and go out ahead of time at night. Although there was one tournament that I would fish that you you couldn't do that because they didn't allow you on the lake a week before the tournament, and the tournament was held up on Balsam Lake in uh, northwestern Wisconsin. So, you know, I'm not going to drive a a six-and-a-half-hour drive or six-hour drive a week before the tournament, you know, to check it out. Um, I would just have to wait until I got there, and then keep my fingers crossed that I, you know, would find some good spots.
4: <laughs> you know, your your thought about with the spotlight—I'd never thought of that idea, but that's really a pretty good kind of a sneaky tip there, Tom.
3: Yeah, you know, it, I, it, it worked out too. It worked out. The other thing I did too—if there was a pre-fish day, sometimes you'd have a day or two or three of pre-fishing. Uh, some of the larger tournaments, and uh, so when I went out pre-fishing, I rarely ever had a lure with a hook in it, always without a hook, because I knew if I got a hit, I knew what it was, you know. I could tell what it was, especially on topwaters, you know. Um, yeah, so I didn't use a hook because I didn't want to be sticking fish in an area where I might come back the next day and want to catch those fish, you know. And yeah, I don't want them to, to remember what they were caught on. So I didn't have a hook in a lot of my baits when I went out.
4: Well, kind of like if you were pre-fishing before a muskie tournament, uh, I think you'd be kind of a bonehead if you got yeah. a follow to exactly. go ahead and figure eight it. Uh, I think I would just probably leave that fish alone and yep. try and come back later.
3: Yep, exactly. exactly. You
4: know, what you mentioned about <clears throat> spotting fish, many years ago on Pewaukee, um, there was a tournament here in the spring, and... Uh, Steve Milltt located a pot of fish and he was on them in really rough conditions and he caught one and unfortunately his partner was his girlfriend at the time. Had it been me, of course, we would have won you know the tournament, but he, he took the chick instead and she messed up on both sides on a fish that you know so he did catch one good one himself. If she'd nailed that one, they, they would have won it. But the way he found it was, Uh, Actually, it was kind of by accident. He was doing something that he normally wouldn't do, only because he had a girlfriend at the time. He uh, went out in a canoe with her. You know, it's kind of the guy and chick thing to do. Go out in the canoe or kayak and, you know, a nice calm day, paddle around the lake and look at the duckies. Uh, But he was paddling along, and it was flat calm. He was on the east end of Pewaukee, and the water was real clear, and uh, it wasn't at night. But uh, it, it was, I, I think it was early in the morning at first sun, and he had his polarized glasses on, and he started spotting these muskies, holding in some shallow water along some weed edge or weed pocket or something. So he knew that exact spot, and that's where he went back to, and that's where the fish were there. So it's kind of like you spotting them with the, uh, with the spotlight, Tom.
3: Yeah, and, you know, I still have that spotlight They've got much better ones nowadays, but this thing was like uh, a million candle power. They called it, and it was—it's very intense, very bright. they—they
4: well, they, huh? they used to make those spotlights, Tom, that looked about as big as the bat signal. Nowadays, they make—they—you they, can get <laughs> flashlights, Tom, that are like as blindingly powerful as a
3: spotlight. Yeah, uh,
4: even headlamps yep. that are what an old spotlight used to be.
3: So, yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, there's some uh, uh, flashlights that are a 1,000 candle power. No, no, not candle. A 1,000 lumens. Lumens. And those things are, oh, boy, are they bright. But you know what? That's not a bad self-defense trick. Because, you know, just imagine, you know, you're walking, let, let's say a lady's walking down the street, and some guy tries to accost her. All she's got to do is shine that bright flashlight in that person's eyes, That person can't see for the first couple of seconds and gives that person a chance to run away. Flashlights are being used as self-defense more and more nowadays just because, you know, you can shine it in the perpetrator's eyes and then feet do your stuff.
4: Yeah, you get those 1,000 lumens will help protect you. Speaking of protection, uh, WCTC is going to be offering some classes now. You know they opened that great range years ago now unfortunately the range is no longer being used for you know joe schmo to go and join it's just kind of being used i believe for their school purposes but they still have some courses and they got several good ones coming up Um, they have one that's called their personal protection scenarios and basically i'm reading their information this four-hour course is designed for those who desire training to defend themselves should a situation occur An interactive firearms use of force computer system is combined with actual force-on-force scenarios to expose attendees to a series of real-world situations. Scenarios may include home invasion, (coughs) carjacking, workforce violence. If you are a responsible firearms owner seeking additional defensive training, this course is for you, and they've got dates May 13th, May 22nd, July 10th, and July 20th. And the hours on the 13th are 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Uh, the 20, May 22nd is probably a weekend, I'm thinking. Uh, it says 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. And then July 10th, 8 a.m. to 12. And then uh, they got an evening one again July 20th. And you can go to uh, register at www.wctc.edu slash self-defense. And I, they don't have the cost here, but I know the prices are very reasonable. In today's world, Tom, I think it's a good idea for people to be able to defend themselves.
3: I agree 100%. And I also agree right now that we got to take a break. And first of all, coming up after the break, we'll have the gut report. And then Danny's going to give us the good, the bad, and the ugly about fishing from a barge. So, folks, you don't want to miss what's coming up. Stay tuned for more of the Wacky Walleyes cutting edge outdoors right here. On Sports Radio, 1250
2: AM, The Fan. Come here, I'm going to eat you. I'm bigger than you. I'm higher in the food chain. Get in my belly.
3: The Gut Report is brought to you by Discount Liquor. Well, this, this uh, recipe comes from our good friends, Mad Dog and Merrill, and you can always catch them every Saturday morning at 930 on Channel 18. And I've tried this, and this is pretty good, so you might want to try this yourself. First of all, this is per person. One baking potato, one cup of Italian dressing, and a half a cup or more of grated Parmesan cheese. First, you bake or microwave the baking potato until about three quarters of the way done. You cut the potatoes lengthwise into eighths or quarters. Then you marinate in Italian dressing for about an hour. Then you roll the quartered or eighths potatoes in parmesan cheese and you can either grill them over indirect heat for about 20 minutes or until golden brown or you can put them in the oven at about 400 degrees turning them every about every five minutes until they're golden brown i'll tell you what this is a real taste treat folks you might want to try this for one of those side dishes that you've been looking for the gut report is brought to you by discount liquor where you're going to find the best price selection and service at 51st and Oklahoma in Milwaukee and Main Street in Barstow in Waukesha. For weekly specials, go to DiscountLiquorInc.com.
4: Welcome back to the Wacky Walleye's. Cutting Edge Outdoors, and thank you, Tom, for another delicious, nutritious gut report. And uh, gut report, uh, that kind of leads right into my next segment, the good, the bad, and the ugly of fishing from a Mississippi fishing barge. So basically, this week, I and Arizona Joe decided what the heck we were going to take the drive and try the Clements Fishing Barge, which is in Genoa. Uh, I think that's Mississippi River Pool 8 or 9, I don't know, but it's one of those pools. Now, of course, there are a number of other barges yet to be explored. We talked to, to the gentleman that owns uh, the Great Alma one, which is going to be further north. Genoa, just for our listeners, it's about 30 miles south of Lacrosse. Crosse. Um, the Great Alma one looks like it's, and this is approximation, looks like it's maybe 30 miles north of Lacrosse. Crosse. Um, there's other ones as well. Now, Our friend Randy Reading sent us uh, some pictures of some perch that a friend caught not off a barge but from a boat, but he started fishing on the barge, uh, and that, he said, was down by the Iowa area uh, border, southern Wisconsin. And uh, I went online. It looks like there is one called Eagle Point or something like that. But there's a number of places to explore, so let's just sum it up that way. But we figured we'd try the Clements because my brother Tim and my brother-in-law Forrest had a fabulous day about five years ago on a wing and a prayer. They had no idea what they were doing. They went out to the barge, and they hit it right. And they, they at the time, the limit was 50 perch, not, or 25 each. Now it's 15 each. And uh, they ended up with uh, 48. My brother um, got uh, 23. Forrest got 25. And, and uh, my brother was determined, of course you're not supposed to have someone catch yours anyway, so my brother let a bunch of little ones go, so he could have had a 25 fish limit, but they had 48, and they were all huge. Forrest got a 15-incher that he got mounted, and uh, that looked like the biggest, although my brother said one other guy had one close to that size on the pier, and it's a huge pier, and everybody on the south side of the pier, north side of the pier were catching fish, and it was so busy at the time, that there's a, in the middle is kind of a little, uh, there's the little headquarters where you gotta go in and pay and you can go inside and warm up and they make cheeseburgers and they sell fishing tackle. Uh, along the sides of that headquarters, there is room, a little railing along the side of the fish and that was the only spot they had that they could get on and they hammered them. Okay, so the good is you can really get some good fish and I and Joe, did pretty decent we got up there about uh, 12 o'clock uh, it's really fascinating Tom you pull up alongside the road there's a place to park uh, and then you can walk across the highway and then you go down a hill there's actually a stairs you know steep stairs that goes down to the lake and there's a flagpole and they pick you up every hour and To know if they need to bring the boat to pick you up and take you to the barge, there's a flagpole, and you got to raise this big old flag. (laughs) Raise this big flag up, and from across the river by the Minnesota side, Mark, I think, is the owner, he sees that, and he comes and gets you. And it was really interesting when we got there to park, Tom. Not only are there trucks parked there, but there's horses and buggies parked there. There's a bunch of Amish guys fishing, not only on the barge, but the whole shoreline on the Wisconsin side was lined with people fishing from shore,
3: hey, and did you, did they. You need they, a Wisconsin, a Minnesota license.
4: No, if you are fishing, uh, this is pretty much true of most boundary waters, from what I understand, Tom. The general rule of thumb is that, like, let's say I'm fishing um, the Menominee River. If I'm uh, if I'm in a boat, I believe you can use either a Minnesota. Or a Wisconsin license. However, if I pull my boat to the um, to the uh, Michigan, I guess uh, Michigan side, and I jump out and fish from shore, then I need the Michigan license. If I pull over to Wisconsin and fish from shore, then you need the Wisconsin license. But All if right. you're in the boat, you can have either.
3: Or on that, the barge.
4: Or, or now in the case of the Mississippi River, it's actually a little different, because some guys left the barge and did walk over, there's a, there's actually a bridge that, that's built from the barge that goes to shore. And, uh, you know, guys might walk there to go off in the trees to take care of their personal business, but others may actually try and fish from the shore, although there's lots of snags. Others will walk, and there's actually a place you can walk towards the dam and fish off kind of a ledge there. And I thought that you would need a Minnes- uh, yeah, Minnesota license to do it, but apparently there, the locals told me that you can fish with either license from railroad track to railroad track. So in other words, apparently there's some railroad tracks on the Minnesota side somewhere there, and there's a railroad tracks on the Wisconsin side, which we actually did cross when we walked down to get picked up for the barge. There's two railroad tracks. And actually, it's a different situation there from what they told me railroad track to railroad track you can have either license okay so it's kind of interesting you do have to check when you go with the locals so uh you know check with the locals everything can be different so anyway we got up there and we didn't start fishing till about one o'clock and within within five minutes i got one little panfish rod i brought four rods rigged up and one little panfish rod it starts going tap 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 i think oh great i got a perch I, I go to wind in, and the line just takes off. Zzz, 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 and I'm like, what the heck do I have here? And all of a sudden, this thing's making runs and this and that. And I only got, like, this real light panfish line on this little five-foot rod. And next thing, the, thing, the thing, comes, thing comes leaping out of the water. It's a sturgeon. I had, oh. it, it was at least 40 inches. So I'm fighting this sturgeon for a long time, and... I finally told, uh, told uh, Arizona Joe was my partner, I said, get, let's just cut the line, because I was afraid it was going to tangle other people's lines, but then it kind of, you know, went the other way, and I thought, well, maybe I can get it close enough, and we almost got that thing netted. Um, the nice thing about the barge, they provide their own nets, so they're painted orange on the handle, so you can run, grab a net. It still didn't look big enough. But we had it right up to the edge, and right when he was going to net it, it dove down. And after a couple other leaps and runs, it actually snapped the line finally. But that, that was pretty interesting. Uh, a little bit later, we got a pike. And uh, it, there were guys catching fish, but here's the thing. Uh, they weren't everywhere on the barge. Like the time my brother Tim went, everybody was catching fish. Well, on this huge barge... It didn't take long for Arizona Joe to kind of spot which guys were catching fish. And he found an open spot near them. And once he found that spot, and uh, he, you know, quietly, the guy didn't even tell me, caught four fish and didn't even come. You think he'd come get his buddy and say, hey, man, come over <laughs> here? No, no. He's over there catching fish. And finally, he, I kind of noticed what the heck he's doing, and I went by him. And we ended up with 18 nice fish. And I'm telling you, Tom, uh, the the size. We kept a few small nine and ten inchers and almost felt guilty keeping just a nine or ten incher. Uh, it's it, there's like it seems like it's a twelve inch size average. I mean, they're just big and fat. It's unbelievable. And uh, we ended up with 18 nice ones, and and uh, then a guy who was leaving, um, he. Uh, he said, hey, man, I got seven, we saw him catch him, he went right next to us, he got seven 12-inch, you know, 13-inch perch, and he he gave them to us, so we ended up with 25, and so we felt very confident that the next day, if we get out there early, we'd get 15 each and have our 30 fish limit, uh, but... Wait, Not wait a necessarily Annie? so, and when we come back Annie? from break, yep. I can finish the rest of the story, Tom.
3: Excellent. That's just what I was going to say. You yep, know, you're yep.
4: getting nervous about those breaks. You know, I'm watching the clock, too, Tom. I know.
3: Yeah. The rest of the story will be right after the Hornschwagel, which is brought to you by Carl's Country Market over there in Menominee Falls. We'll talk more about that right after this break. So, folks, if you want to be a contestant and have a chance of winning a $10 gift certificate to Carl's Country Market... All you got to do is call 414-799-1250. Now, don't forget, if you've won in the last two months, don't bother calling because, you know, our sidekick, Sam, is keeping a list of who's won and who hasn't. So uh, just give somebody else a chance and uh, just call now to be a contestant, 414-799-1250. We'll be right back.
2: Because I'm TNT. I'm dying
3: out.
4: Wacky Walleyes, Cutting Edge Outdoors. I'm Dan Bush, along with Tom Neubauer. And right now we have our world-famous Schwaggle segment. Do we have a contestant, Sam? Yes, today we got Gary in New Berlin. Gary in New Berlin. How are you doing, Gary? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing excellent. Okay, so great here dear. we go. I was just talking about sturgeon. Uh, so along those lines, the Lake Sturgeon such as the ones in Lake Winnebago, the lake sturgeon is the only species of sturgeon in Wisconsin. Hornschwagel or no Hornschwagel? Uh, I'd have to say no Hornschwagel. Well, that's a, uh, that is a Hornschwaggle. That's a Hornschwagel.
3: Yeah, there's there a are... smaller one, right?
4: Yeah, yeah. That's shovel kind, nose. That's... Yes, exactly. Tom knows his stuff. That's what I had on was a shovel nosed sturgeon. And uh, yeah, okay, well, you're all for one, you got a chance. Uh, sturgeon eggs. Sturgeon eggs uh, are kind of a prized item uh, as people like to eat them. Sturgeon eggs, hornschwagel or no hornschwagel?
3: Definitely no
4: hornschwagel. No hornschwagel. Okay. And along those lines, uh, in addition to sturgeon eggs, uh, there are other fish eggs that people like, but not all fish eggs are considered good to eat. Hornschwagel or no Hornschwagel? Uh, that's a tough one. No so Hornschwagel. No uh, that's correct. That's correct. That is no Hornschwagel. That's right. correct. In fact, that, Tom, there are some that are actually, I think, poisonous.
3: Um, yeah, some you know don't taste good.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but Arizona Joe told me I forget the species of fish, but there there is a certain species of fish that they are actually poisonous. Oh wow, that would not be good. Okay, thanks for uh, listening, Gary, and uh, we'll put you on hold and uh, or we'll go back to uh, Sam. Sam, I am. He'll take your name, address, information, and I'll get that ten dollar gift certificate married out, married out to you, mailed out to you <laughs> for Carl's Country Market. Thank you. All right, take All right, care, Gary. For calling. Bye now. Yeah, didn't want to get down. Didn't I, want to get married there. I'm
3: excited to hear the second half of. Uh...
4: There's the second half of the yeah. good, the bad, and the ugly. So the good was segment number one. We went out there, and yes, indeed, it truly is an unbelievable fishing resource. If you can sit there and catch big fish. Now the season progresses, and I, you know, we saw some guys catching some walleye, but I think. Shortly after the perch, you're going to have walleyes, and then a top secret uh, thing I heard from a guy who was there with us, Uh, he was from Rockford, the guy who gave us the seven fish. He said he comes up there about a half dozen times a year, and one of the times that he's eagerly looking forward to is near the end of June when i'm thinking it's not going to be near as crowded end of june because not everybody's rushing off to the rivers like they are right now you know in boats and everything else and lining banks everybody's seems like that river fishing is the first to get going so everybody and their brothers got cabin fever uh as well as the great fishing attracting them but uh they get monster bluegills big oh, really? gills he says 10 and a, yes 10 and a half inch plus so he'll come up in, in the end of june That, I think, doing the same thing, basically. Now, here's as far as the tactic. It's heavy current. We had one of our listeners call that last week. Um, You needed, um, if if you were going to cast shallower areas, uh, we were using one and a half inch. Uh, I wasn't using the disc, disc sinker. Um, But at Dick Smith's, and I'll put in a plug for Dick Smith's, for a small tackle shop, they know exactly the tackle that they need. They get some hard-to-find stuff there. And uh, Dick Smith's had them. They had kind of a a flat, pear-shaped sinker, Tom, uh, and the line runs straight through the sinker. And the idea is the sinker lays flat and doesn't roll in the current, and it's less likely to get snagged up as like a bell sinker or egg sinker or whatever, and you rig that above the swivel like we were talking about last week, about an 18-inch leader, uh, and then a small little hook, and rosy reds were what my brother-in-law got on on last week, uh, what was best this last couple days for us, and everybody you could see, very few people fishing minnows. For some reason, it was rosy reds, or night crawlers and you didn't have to thread them on and make it look fancy you could put a couple of rosy reds on and kind of gob it up a little bit uh, or you could just take a night crawler pinch it in half and wacky rig the night crawler onto the hook don't thread it on like i normally like to do for bluegills just just put it wacky rig you chuck it on out and let it on the, let it go to the bottom that wind your rod tight and let it sit Watch the rod to see if it starts, you know, tick, tick, ticking. Or another technique is slowly wind it in and pause it. Or you go with a three way rig with about a two ounce, and again, they were using the disc sinkers, about a six inch lead line to the two ounce to three ounce disc sinker, and about a 20 inch main line, again, baited with, with like, a, uh, you know, same thing I talked about, the worms, night, night crawlers. And those guys would be putting it straight down to the edge of the pier. In other words, you're right to the edge of the pier. Now, the problem is, the second day we got there, it was unbelievable, Tom. We got there at 8 o'clock. There wasn't a fishing spot on this entire pier. North pier, south pier. It was, Tom, unbelievable. We talked to a guy who got up, got there, got there at 4.30 a.m., And they don't pick you up till 7 a.m. So he was on the shore in the dark at 4.30 a.m. This is the ugly part about it, or the bad part about it. And meaning you got to get up at 3 a.m. to get there at 4.30 a.m. And even then, he wasn't first in line. He was on the third boatload out. So he probably wasn't the 30th angler out there. Wow. And the problem was all this the spots that I and Joe had caught the fish the day before jam-packed shoulder to shoulder there was no way we could get there and we had to go on the uh, south or north pier instead of the south pier. The south pier was a hot one and we caught nothing for six hours. There were people catching a whole lot of nothing and then a hundred yards away on the other side of the pier or not 100 yards but you know a ways away, there's guys pulling in giant perch, and if you didn't have one of those spots and get there early, you were screwed. Now what we did was we waited till about noon, one o'clock, and when we saw a spot open up over there, we I raced over there quick, and I and Joe got in there, and we did manage to get ten nice perch, but we you know that was you know then, then the next thing you know it was five o'clock and they're kicking us out, so we we didn't we wasted you know three quarters of our day. Now, when my brother Tim went, it didn't matter where you were. So it kind of depends on the day, and I guess that's the ugly part about it is you can be on that pier, and someone else is catching fish, and you got another three-quarters of the pier catching a whole lot of nothing. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's a great experience. Um, I would highly recommend doing it, but it's there's no guarantees on it. You can hit it great. And you will be amazed at the average size of these perch. I've never seen anything like it. We came home with a you know, cooler full of these giant perch filled to the brim and filleted them yesterday. Uh, Joe kept the four biggest. He's thinking about doing a stringer mount. They, they are just gorgeous. They envision a smallmouth bass painted like a perch because that's the way the, the bodies are on these things. It's like a bass body on them. Yeah, Big old yeah. belly and beautiful colors. So it was really a good experience, and I want to experiment and maybe try that bluegill gig and experiment on some of these other floats. And the other thing as well, Tom, is this. That Mississippi River is a huge river system, and I mentioned there were people fishing from shore where we first got picked up by the barge, and when we came back in... Uh, there was a guy with a half dozen big perch, and he was just putting rod holders in the sand and just chucking out from shore. The whole shoreline was lined with guys. So you don't need to go to the barge. I mean, you can fish from shore probably in a lot of places on that river system, and I'd be willing to bet that there's back bays and backwaters, uh, similar to what uh, you know John Gillespie and some of the guys went into on the airboats for the latest ice fishing. I'll sure. bet that there's places a guy could hike in and fish from shore and, and get a giant perch, and nobody's there. There's got to be spots that there's, you know, on that river that are unexplored, and if you put some time in, you could find it for yourself for some good shore fishing. Now, the boats, boat guys were out there as well, and they were trying to get as close to the barge as possible, but for some reason the barge right by the dam kind of congregates th- those fish, I believe, kind of holds them for some reason there. So the guys in the boats were doing okay, but not as good as the guys on the barge.
3: Um, you know you mentioned about the Mississippi being a big river, which it is I got a I got a little schwaggle question for you what which river is longer the Missouri River or the Mississippi River um,
4: but, uh, but, um, it's a really good question I know I know when they talk about long rivers the Nile River comes in there uh, I want to say the Nile is the biggest in the world Um I would say the Amazon's in there as well, but um, I guess I'm going to say the Missouri River because that kind of starts further west and then winds on down.
3: Yeah, that was kind of a trick question. A lot of people would think the Mississippi, but the Missouri River is actually two miles longer than the Mississippi, a whole two miles. <laughs> two miles. <laughs> that was it, yeah, whole two That's miles. That's amazing. So, but anyway, we got to go to our top of the hour break. That sounds like it was a fun trip, Danny. Oh, it was and, great. Uh, it's something that I might have to do someday. But then again, when you start telling me about the bad and the ugly, I start to start to waver a little bit. But anyway, we'll be right back, folks, with more of the Wacky Walleye's Cutting Edge Outdoors. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
1: The following is paid commercial programming. The content and opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of WSSP, Entercom Milwaukee, its staff, or sponsors. From Lake Michigan to the Mississippi. And every river, lake, and field in between. Let's talk everything outdoors. All aboard!
2: Ha <laughs> ha! You're on
1: the crazy train! All aboard! <laughs> Welcome to the Wacky Walleye Cutting Edge Outdoor Show. Fasten your seat belts for a wild ride through Wisconsin's outdoors. Only on 12.50 a.m. The fan.
3: Well, oh, good morning, folks, and welcome back to the Wacky Walleyes Cutting Edge Outdoors. Grab a grab a seat on the crazy train. Get your tickets punched because we got some interesting stuff going on this morning. And if you want to be a, a, a part of the show, all you got to do is give us a call at four one four seven nine nine twelve fifty or email us live at ceoguys at yahoo dot com. And right now, on the line, live from Fremont, Wisconsin.
0: This is Yvonne Clemens with Clemens River Resort. We actually purchased Larry and Jan's in October.
3: Oh, I did not know that.
0: Oh, okay.
3: Oh, my uh, producer said uh, John was on the line.
0: (laughs) Oh, well, it's it's Yvonne. It's kind of close, right? Oh,
3: Yvonne. (laughs) Okay, Yvonne, we got it. So you purchased Larry and Jan's, huh?
0: We did in October of 2020.
3: Well, I'm glad to hear that. I hope things have been going good so far for you.
0: Oh, it has. Thank you. What
3: what What's the fishing like going on by you? Do you have a lot of people right now?
0: Oh, yes. The the fishing is fantastic. Uh, they're limiting out um, within an hour. So these guys are doing great. They're getting the big females. Um, are, then the you big talking, males are, are you talking to walleyes, Yvonne? Oh, yes, the wall-
3: walleyes. Definitely. Okay. So well, keep going. I'm sorry I interrupted you.
0: Oh, oh no, no, no. That's okay. So yeah, I mean the guys are the guys are doing good. The gals are doing good. They're out there every morning getting their getting their limits, no problem right now.
3: Well, wow, because later on in April the the white bass run will start then, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Then it then it's then it's chaos in Fremont. Definitely Fremont's the place to be.
3: Okay. Now let me ask you. Now, do you have places to rent there?
0: Yes, we actually have twelve units.
3: All right, and you've got live bait as well, right?
0: Yeah, we actually redid the entire bait shop, so the bait shop is also a convenience store.
3: Oh, and then we
0: updated our our um, fish clean uh, um, fish cleaning house, so that's all brand new in there too. It's all indoor and insulated, so everybody seems to be really enjoying that too. Wow!
3: Now, do you have a boat launch as well?
0: Yeah, the boat launch is actually right next to the resort. Oh,
3: okay. And so
0: when our guests so when our guests do come in, we've got plenty of places um, for their boats to stay right in the water. And plenty of places for um, all their boats and trailers to be parked.
3: Well, it sounds like you've got everything there.
0: We do. It's fantastic.
3: Now, do you sell some of the tackle that you know that people are catching the walleyes and the white bass on?
0: Yeah, obviously they're using the stingers, and the, and the big one obviously is the Wolf River rigs. Right. The pinks seem to be the pinks seem to be the action one, and the shiners. So, yeah, they're they're buying those up like crazy. Well,
3: that sounds great. That sounds excellent. <clears throat> and, uh, boy, I was just that anything else you want to tell people, like well, a, a phone number or a website?
4: Tom. Yeah. Tom. Oh, well, we're, oh, go ahead. Yeah, Tom, I just want to ask a few questions myself yeah. here, buddy. Go right ahead. Um, yeah. So, Yvonne, uh, so with your operation there, assuming that I don't have a boat and I want to come on up there and catch some walleyes, Um, now the way, and I suppose you got a website, we can look at more of this, but you go on up and you can actually stay right at your place and fish right from shore. Correct. Or you have some kind of a barge or something.
0: Oh, absolutely. We have three really nice docks. As a matter of fact, we just put a brand new one in two weeks ago. So yeah, we've got four, uh, four pontoon boats that we rent out and nine fishing boats that we rent out. And uh, yeah, those are those are out on the water all the time.
4: Okay. And then if a guy wants to just fish from the docks, though, the, the guys are doing good catching fish there as well.
0: They are, because the, the docks go out for, uh, far enough, so they're not only catching walleye, they're catching perch too.
4: Okay. Well, that sounds like a great thing where you could come on up, stay at your place, and just fish off the shore, off the docks there, and, and catch some great walleyes right now. Absolutely. Yeah, that now,
3: sounds like something I'd like to do. Yeah, yeah, well, maybe
4: me up. and you, Tom. <laughs> how, how, yeah, are you as, how are you? Absolutely. How are you? Is are you all booked up now, or do you have openings, or what's the scoop?
0: Right now, we still have a few openings because it seems like the Wally obviously are running a little bit earlier than usual. Um, but come come May or the end of end of April, May is pretty booked solid. I do have some slots that I've been trying to squeeze people into, but yeah, I mean it's it's insane up here.
3: Wow. Well, that's fantastic. I'm glad you took a few minutes to talk to us about that. And, yeah, I, thanks for coming. and I, I wish you continued success up there. Uh, do you have a website?
0: Yes, it's Clemens, C-L-E-M-I-N-S, riverresort.com.
3: Oh, yeah, I'm writing this down.
0: I'm, oh, good.
3: <laughs> Resort. Uh, now, spell that Clemens again.
0: Sure, it's C. L E M I N S.
3: All right, I got it. Excellent.
0: And we're very, very active on Facebook too with lots of pictures and updates on the fishing reports. So definitely follow us on Facebook.
3: All right, uh, clemensriversresort.com. That sounds great, Yvonne. Thank you very much for taking some time out to spend with us.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for calling. Have a great day. Uh, We
3: might call again.
0: Okay. I hope so.
3: All right. Okay, Thank thanks. you. I <laughs> know. Well, what do you think, Danny? That sounds pretty what, interesting too.
4: What I think is, if I talk to Arizona Joe, who's all excited, he was actually cooking some of his perch last night. He was so excited. I got a text in a picture of some perch that he had made, and he said they were delicious. Uh, I think maybe now that he's got, I gave him all the you know perch. Um, now that he's got all those perch fillets, uh, he's gonna want to go get some walleyes up there too, and I think that that would be a fun thing to do too. If you got an opening, yeah, you, you know, sure you can, you know, rent a boat and stuff like that. But if you can just catch them right from shore and relax, yeah. that's kind of like fishing from the barge, right? Uh, so I think I think that's a good, you know, look, sounds like another good tip to get some walleyes now.
3: Yeah, we got a we got an email here from James. Uh, James doesn't want to be counterintuitive, but just google facts he says the missouri river is a hundred and thirty nine miles longer than the mississippi 139 miles now you know it's funny jim but when i when i uh saw that information um on uh, i forget what it was what site it was i don't know if i googled it or what or just you know when you ask the computer questions but uh it it, it told me only two miles longer so there were two different things out there maybe it was at wikipedia or something like that i forget whatever it was but james says it's 130 miles 139 miles longer so anyway thanks for that james got to keep us on our toes that's for sure yep especially me
4: yep well well tom you are it's not often that you're wrong you know know a lot of that that stuff i you know i never would have till you got me thinking about it i normally off the top of my head would have said mississippi Uh, One thing, uh, talking about this uh, river fishing on barges, or even like we just talked to our good friend uh, Yvonne at the resort, uh, Clemens Resort on the Wolf River, it can get busy and they can get booked, Uh, but if you try and fish on a midweek, I would say the best days to fish are Tuesday and Wednesday, because... By the, now, like when we went out, we were up there on Wednesday. It wasn't crazy busy, but we did go on a day it was raining initially, and we were in the rain when we first started. And I think if you watched a weather, a bad weather forecast, it might actually be a good time to go because it's going to keep the masses away. Plus, I think midweek is less busy. I think a lot of people, Tom, and I experienced this up on the Mink River a couple of years ago in uh, early June, where we were in there fishing on a Wednesday, and it wasn't, you know, too bad. But on Thursday, it was like the army arrived. And I think a lot of people, if they're going to do a long fishing weekend, will take off Thursday, Friday in order to go. So Thursday is becoming more like a Saturday in some places. So I think that might have been part of the reason we were kind of screwed on Thursday uh, on the barge in the Mississippi River. The other thing, uh, here's the thing, with today's social media, it's good, but it can be bad. Because what happened was, somebody told me that uh, the owner of the um, the barge there that we were on posted on Wednesday evening about how good the fishing had been. And they post that on Facebook uh-oh. And next thing you know, the next day, everybody and their brother's there. So, yeah, yeah the social media, yeah, it's good, I guess. If I want to find out, people are catching fish. But if I'm the guy there catching fish, I'd kind of prefer they shut that up and stop the social media stuff and keep keep announcing it to the world.
3: Yeah. So, but, you know, there's do you wanna, there, yeah, trade-offs. want to get as many guys on that barge as they can, you
4: know. Oh, so. yeah, I understand. As yeah. a business owner, I do understand. Yeah. And I think the guy runs, and actually I think... It's a real nice operation. For people that do offer those types of services, uh, it's a real resource that anglers really should appreciate. And even even like uh, the gal we just talked to, you know, they got such nice setup for fishermen and and things that you can do. And the nice thing too, Tom is these are very reasonable, you know, inexpensive things to do. So if right. a guy doesn't have a $70,000 ranger, uh, he can still experiencing, experience some world-class fishing in the state of Wisconsin. And I think these rivers are one of the, un, you know, everybody, I think lakes are really pressured pretty hard. Rivers and river systems, uh, as from, from the Mississippi to the Wolf, uh, of course, everybody knows the Fox, the St. Louis River, my favorite river, sleeper, up there in, in the middle of nowhere in God's country. I got shoreline spots that I've caught, you know, 40-plus-inch northerns and uh, my cousin has caught 50-plus-inch muskies that nobody, I repeat, nobody fishes. There's great unexplored areas to be had, and there's something kind of uh, uh, cool about fishing a river. It's just kind of different.
3: Yeah, it is. I, I've always enjoyed fishing rivers because a lot of times, you know, when you're casting a lure or live bait, you never really know, you know, what's at the other end of the line when you get a bite, you know. It could be just about anything. And, you know, before we go to our 7.15 break, I just want to thank Sam I.M. for telling me that our, our guest's name was John. Thanks, Sam. Oh, come on. Hey, hey, where's you, Sam? Where
4: is he? Can't blame Sam. I, you know what? Are you sure you didn't screw that up, Tom? No,
3: he said John, didn't you, Sam?
4: They didn't tell me. It. Okay, we'll we'll figure this out during break.
1: Yeah, no, <laughs> we don't. Have,
3: you said you got you, when you called me. You said you got John on. I the feel
1: line. like I was in a lose lose situation <laughs> there. Yeah, you
3: know, I'm defending. I think Sam was. I think Sam was napping at the time. Sam, I, I, I'm defending you, Sam. You
4: do a great job there.
3: Of course he does. Except with john and yvonne (laughs) oh well that's right we got it all figured out so right now we got it all figured out to go to a break and you know i'm just teasing you sam we'll be right back with more folks on the wacky walleyes cutting edge outdoors
4: Welcome back to the Wacky Walleyes, Cutting Edge Outdoors. I'm Dan, along with Tom, rhymes with E-Tom, and just like John, rhymes with E-Von, E-John. <laughs> so, Ivan. So, there we go. Um, All right, Tommy.
3: I got an update for you, Dan.
4: Update. Okay, yeah, good. I, uh, I like last updates.
3: We, we talked about me? the mean mouth bass. Mean mouth, uh, yeah. I was a little off a little bit. Uh, the meanmouth bass is basically a cross between the smallmouth bass and the spotted bass, uh, which was, you know, you'll find the spotted bass in a lot of southern, you know, lakes, you know, especially some reservoirs. But they can, uh, uh, smallmouth can mate with the largemouth bass down down south as well, but it's mainly with the spotted bass. So I just had to clear that up.
4: Okay. So the mean mouth is a cross between the uh, spotted bass and the largemouth bass.
3: No, and the smallmouth.
4: Smallmouth. Okay. Yeah, so it's called mean least... mouth. So what what do they call the cross between a largemouth and a smallmouth?
3: The same thing. The mean mouth. They
4: call it a mean mouth too. Yeah.
3: Same thing. Yeah. I mean, it's they mainly you know cross. It's a main cross between the smallmouth and the spotted. But smallmouth and largemouth can do it too. But it's just not as predominant as with the spotted bass.
4: Not as, okay, gotcha. Okay, cool. All right, go hey, so Let's
3: um, clear that up. Yeah. Let's clear that up. You know, we got
4: to keep, you know, Missouri River, two miles longer, 139 <laughs> miles. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we got to keep our stuff straight here, Tom. Good, good thing we're not historians, you know. They're ne- they're never going to put us on the History Channel anytime. And, oh. and anyway, Tom, you mentioned Wikipedia. Do you realize, as a former school teacher, that those English teachers that I used to work with, you know, they they are crazy sometimes. Those English teachers. I mean, if if they think you plagiarized, they're they're gonna you know they're gonna lock you up. It's it's life in prison for that. But. Um, they always, they would always say you can't use Wikipedia because Wikipedia, basically anybody can put information on Wikipedia, so it's considered not a source that they would, oh. uh, you know, a verified
3: source. Right, right. I've always heard people ver- teasing about Wikipedia, you know, you, joking yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So some, of, you got,
4: you got, you, they, you do get good information, but you know, again, again, when you're sourcing, you can source to get correct information. Uh, too bad most of our mainstream news outlets don't do that anymore. But that's beside the point. So a couple of uh, uh, information from Muskie's Inc. I mentioned the Milwaukee chapter. Uh, they've got their April stocking coming up. They don't have an exact date yet. Uh, they're, they are committed to stocking 150 fish into Okachi and Pewaukee. And you can uh, con- contact Bob Petsky if you're interested in helping. And then April 27th at the Machine Shed, right around 7, they're going to have a swap meet. So... Uh, Space is limited, so contact Jeff uh, Virgis. Hope I'm not uh, mispronouncing the name to reserve your spot. And they've actually got, uh, already we're talking open water fishing on Pewaukee, May 1st and May 2nd, the opener. They've got their quad challenge where basically some, some of the good folks from the Illinois chapter come on up and compete with the Pewaukee people. And also included is a catered dinner, this sounds good, Tom, on Saturday night from Mission Style Barbecue. Have you ever had Mission Style Barbecue, Tom?
3: No, I don't know what that is. It
4: sounds gosh darn good to me, but the good deal is the cost is $10 for the dinner. So, uh, again, uh, that sounds like a great deal, even if you're just going to go out and screw around and fish or not fish, 10 bucks for the dinner. So, uh, again, contact Bob Petzke for that. And, uh, yeah, lots of good things coming up with the local chapters.
3: Yeah, I remember one time... Uh when Muskie Bills used to be over there on Pewaukee Lake, uh, the Milwaukee chapter of Muskie Zinc. I th- I don't know if it was uh, their their regular big tournament in May or if it was the challenge against the Illinois people, but they had a big deal out there, and they had the tents put up and all that. And one thing was really cool, they roasted this big pig on the, you know, they roasted it right there, and uh, that was part of the dinner, you know for that night, and I'll tell you what, that was just fantastic, you know, the Milwaukee chapter of Muskie Inc. puts on a puts on a good show, they do.
4: Yeah, they're, they're a really good, really good group, and again, I, I hate, hate to overstress it, but uh, I even try and tell, you know, my fishing clients that come up from Illinois and fish muskies with me, that they should join, because the, the fish they're catching may have been Planted by the Muskies Inc. Group, and certainly their efforts have been good. And and our Walleyes for Tomorrow update is this. Uh, They do have the, this is from Tom Kepp. they do have the walleye wagon uh, rolling. uh, And I'll just kind of read so I don't screw this up. Uh, According to Tom, it says, we have signed a cooperative agreement with the WDNR to run the portable fish hatchery. The walleye wagon is in its location on Rocky Point, the DNR is doing a full comprehensive walleye survey this year, and they're running 10 nets. Uh, it says we will have a walleye for tomorrow boat, run along with the DNR boat, and so we can uh, grab the ripe females right away and take them back for egg processing. Um, and this was dated as of the 23rd, and it mentioned here that they were planning on getting a net in on the next day, the 24th or the 25th. So. Um, yeah, if it, you can sometimes help and, and volunteer and, and help them out, so you could contact Tom Kep. I went along with them a couple of years ago and got on the boat, checked the net. It was off Chester Island, I believe. And we went back to the uh, wagon on Rocky Point, and it was really cool because they had a couple 10-pound walleyes, and they take the eggs and the milk and the, everything right there. It's a really cool operation. Then you go inside the walleye wagon, and it's a portable fish hatchery. Shoot, they should be doing elementary kids should be doing uh, field trips there to uh, biology classes to check it out and see it. It really is a cool operation. So, kudos to the Pewaukee chapter of Walleyes for tomorrow and uh, Tom Kepp for the good work that they're doing out here.
3: You know that's a that's a great idea, where you know some great or you know great schools can take their kids you know on a field trip to see that 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 would be I think I think they'd really like that too.
4: Yeah, well, I think that'd be good, and give them yeah. free beer afterwards, just like yeah. a brewery tour.
3: <laughs> or maybe uh, grape knee high for the kids. <laughs> yeah.
4: So. All right. Well, let's not say we did.
3: Okay, so, yes. so now do you plan on uh, going maybe to another one of these fish barges on the Mississippi?
4: Well, Different you know, maybe? Actually, uh, actually I'm tempted to drive up to our friends at that uh, Clemens River Resort and try and catch some walleyes now. Now that I'm on a roll, but yes, Tom, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about, you know, checking out some other ones, um, you know, because they've got, they catch a big perch up and down the river and it, walleyes of course. Uh, but I, I think it's a timing thing, like anything in fishing, Tom, you know, one float in one part of the river might be going and the other one, not so much 60 miles away, hundred miles away, whatever. Yeah. But uh, it does look like a great resource to explore I think the other thing, though, would be if a guy has the time to start trying finding some of those little shore places that a guy could fish from shore just by himself without getting on a boat or going to a barge. I mean, it really opened my eyes driving along, well, both the Mississippi River and driving by all these Wisconsin back river uh, backwater areas uh, on the way up there and back. You're looking at that thinking, man, there's got to be fish down there in that little backwater bay. So yeah. I think there's a lot of cool things that a guy could explore.
3: Yeah, and also, I th- I've mentioned it in the past, but if a person came out with a book that was like, uh, you know, shore fishing spots 100 miles with, you know, from Milwaukee, let's say, I mean, I think that would be a great seller because there's, there's so many people who don't have boats and are looking for, you know, places to fish from shore. Uh, if if a person, you know, was able to take the time and find all these different areas, I mean, there's areas around us here, but it doesn't seem like there's that many, at least the ones that I know of, and I'm sure there's a lot more. I just don't know of them, you know. And, right. I, bet, and I bet you people would buy that book, you know.
4: Tom, I've, I've got the perfect title of, of your book, Tom. It would be How to Catch a Fish for Shore.
3: Oh, That's... oh oh, oh. <laughs> That's the title,
4: and now we've talked about this on the air before, and listeners have told me later, you know, I would buy that book if it were there, and then what you should do is not only include the shore fishing spot, a review of, of that and how to get there and what to fish, time of year, et cetera, uh, you could also have a review of the greatest greasy spoon close by, the little hole-in-the-wall bar where you could go in and get the big special cheeseburger or whatever, and have, have a little review of the great little eating place, have a review of the closest bait shop, and uh, promote that, and maybe even if you want to include where to stay. And I'll put in a plug right now. Uh, we fished in Genoa, but we stayed 19 miles away in a little town called Veracqua. Oh, believe sure, a, that. Yeah. yeah, it's on Highway 14, and we stayed at a great little place called the Vernon Inn. The Vernon Inn, and they gave us a great rate, and they were great. Uh, There's a great mom and pop home style restaurant right down the road, uh, and it wasn't that bad of a, a very beautiful scenic drive through the hills to get to the Mississippi River. So I would highly suggest uh, staying at that Vernon Ill, Ill, Il, Ill, Ill Inn. I mean, in in the <laughs> I'm getting like you, Tom, um, in the event that you want to go up there and fish. Now there are places right in genoa but i called the genoa motel or whatever the heck it was called and the guy says oh man fishing's good we're booked for months so forget that you got to try and look in a little outlying berg which is what i did that's how i came up with veraqua
3: yeah well i'll tell you a, a a book about shore spots i'll tell you what and and eateries close by that would take a person years to do years you know and i'm and i'm just too lazy to do something like that
4: yeah, that would involve getting off the recliner a few too many times there. Yeah. yeah.
3: Well, you, you know, know what? Talking, I, you know, a lot of traveling and I mean and a lot of, you know, you got to explore a lot of places yourself, you know, and
2: That's uh, true.
3: Like I said, there's places out there to fish from shore that we 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 have no clue of where they are, you know. Well, yeah. You know, you, oh, here's the other thing, Danny. And people who do know of those spots wouldn't want us to be telling wouldn't want us to be telling people about them.
4: You're right, you're right, and and there's lots of little places um, that your guy can go and catch some fabulous fish using nothing but a little john boat or a little canoe, those little off-the-grid, small little lakes, ponds, uh, backwaters of rivers, there's a lot of great little places that I know people are getting great fish, and it's kind of all under the radar, but you gotta have the adventuresome spirit. You gotta be willing to throw that John Bo- boat in the back of your truck or canoe on the top of your vehicle and drive and try it. And you gotta have the attitude that, hey, I'm gonna go with the attitude that I'm not gonna catch anything, right? Don't go with any expectations, but I'm gonna have a good time on the water, exploring some neat areas and see some things. And if you do that long enough, you will stumble onto some of those hidden gems.
3: Yeah, you know, I'll tell you there. In our, you know, within a hundred miles of us, there are so many little lakes that are uh, no motors allowed. Where if you have a kayak or a canoe or a, or a small boat that you just row or got an electric motor, I'll tell you what. It, it, there's so many of them, and there's small little lakes, and there's a lot of them, and there's really good fishing in them. So something that people gotta check out. Anyway, we got to go to another break, Danny. It's 7.30 in the morning, and we are the Wacky Walleyes Cutting Edge Outdoors on 1250 AM The Fan. We'll be right back with more, folks.
4: Welcome back to the Wacky Walleyes. Cutting Edge Outdoors, thanks for getting on board the crazy train. We've got uh, approximately 20 minutes or so left on board. I will say just real quick that uh, they are running the Wisconsin DNR is going to be having their county deer advisory meetings. And uh, basically, you can go uh, onto the DNR website and look there. Uh, You can find the meeting agendas, which include the development of antlerless harvest goals, season frameworks, uh, recommendations, and uh, then they have some discussions. So if you want to be a part of that, uh, be part of the process, you can do that. So again, check the DNR website. Um, And Tom, we were talking a little bit about, uh, you know, finding small places to fish and so forth. You know, you for many years... We're you know, a top tournament angler. You fished a lot of lakes, body, rivers, body bodies of water. Uh and, and and you know, so I joke about you being on the recliner now, but I mean you you spent a lot of time afield. So if if a guy wanted to go to a, a southeast Wisconsin lake and catch a five pound bass, what would be your best recommendations?
3: Oh, uh, there's a, there's so many lakes. I mean we we have a plethora of good bass lakes here in Wisconsin. They're all over the state, but in our area, just in our area, you could go to Pewaukee, Okotchi, Nagawick, uh, Oconomowoc. That's just to name a few. They're all over. They really are. They're all over.
4: Do, do you think that a new state record bass for
3: Wisconsin,
4: for a largemouth, for example, will ever be caught? Uh,
3: I... Anything in nature is possible. Some things are highly improbable, but anything is possible. You just got to wonder if that state record largemouth was the real weight, you know, because we've talked about it before, about the records of years ago. You know, did they fudge a little bit? You know, were were those were they weighed on scales or were people just guessing? I don't know. You know, what what is the record? Eleven pounds three ounces.
4: Eleven better, pounds I, I, three ounces.
3: I better check my facts.
4: Just to no, I think be sure. you're pretty good on those. Now I believe yeah. the smallmouth was nine pounds one ounce or something right. like that. Yeah. That this, one I would say for sure. Well, I'll never say for sure, but that one I will. I believe that state record will be beat at some point.
3: Yeah, up on the Bay of Green Bay, most likely. Could even probably be beat on Pewaukee.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh? Pewaukee or uh, a lake, uh, a big green lake, yep. uh, one of those big deep lakes that uh, maybe a Lake Geneva that has big a good abundant forage base. Uh, yeah, there's there's got to be a, a smallmouth out there somewhere. That if you get it, well timing's the thing too. Uh, Dale Stroshine was talking about how he got one that was over seven pounds last fall, but that was not full of spawn. So if you if you you'd probably have to get it if it's gonna eclipse that mark you'd have to get it in the spring while while its belly right. is fat right. and full of spawn so it's put on the poundage
3: yeah and that that largemouth bass you know that was caught back in 1940 uh you know were were the records kept as closely you know the weights and all that were they kept as good as they are now back in 1940 and on Lake Ripley. Uh, I'll tell you, that's where it was caught on Lake Ripley, and I don't know if there's been ever a, a, a six or seven pound bass caught out there again. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know. Uh, so, somebody who fishes Lake Ripley would have to tell me. But uh, the
4: the the Lake Ripley, believe it or not, bass record is eleven pounds, one ounce or whatever.
3: Yeah, yeah, but the, you know, it's funny. All the, all these lakes in our area, they they've all got bass in them, and. There, there's always a few big ones floating around, you know, so, yeah, chances are of catching a big one. Uh, you know, another good lake for catching a big one would be Long Lake um, up there by Dundee. Um, Long Lake is, is another one uh, that's got them. I mean, there's just so many lakes around here that to catch a five-pound bass is really not, I mean, it's a, it's a big deal, but not that big of a deal.
4: Okay. Well, for for yourself tom now you had said that your biggest bass you just let it go and never even weighed it correct
3: yeah that's true as a matter of fact my biggest small mouth and biggest largemouth. uh as a matter of, yeah my my biggest weight wise largemouth was caught right on that little island in front of your place uh many years ago it was 23 and a half inches and it was built like a tank. As a matter of fact, it was on the cover of Midwest Outdoors magazine. I sent a picture, and it wasn't one of those photos where I was, you know, holding it out to the camera. You can see my arm is bent, you know, so I was holding it close to my body. It was just a huge bass, and and I'm like the one. I don't like to, you know, over exaggerate. I don't. I don't want to be known as one of those guys, you know, over over exaggerates fish. So you know, when somebody would ask me how big it is, I say, "Well, I know it was over six. Could have been over seven, but I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't know because I never weighed it. Same thing with the big smallmouth, the 23 inch smallmouth I caught on Okanumauk Lake. I know it was over six. Maybe it was over seven, but I don't know. Like a dummy, I never weighed it. Well, then again, I didn't have anything in the boat to weigh it with, you know. Even though, even though I'm looking at it right now, I gotta grab it from my shelf here." I have a Normark weigh-in. It's a scale that goes up to uh, 10 pounds. It's uh, electronic digital scale. So it goes up to 10 pounds, but I never have it in the boat with me for some reason. Yeah, that's, it's, it's sitting that, on a that, shelf in my basement.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, typical like most guys. When you're yeah. out fishing or hunting and you say, oh, I wish I had such and such. Yeah, I got one. It's at home. Good place for it. Uh, when you're out afield and need it, you know, one thing that I did buy, Tom, well, I do always, when I'm smallmouth and walleye fishing, I always do carry a digital scale. Um, now, one thing, last year my brother did catch a fat spring walleye. It was 5 and a half pounds, and, you know, I, sometimes hooking that little hook on those digital scales underneath the gill plate when a fish, is green it can actually go crazy and flop right off of that thing and 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 bounce on it you feel bad if it hits the boat floor you're trying to be quick and get a quick measurement with it so this year i bought it it's a berkeley fish weighing bag like like you see the guys in the bass tournaments with water in the bag and a couple bass walking up from their boat i bought one of those bags and I, if, I'm thinking that if I catch a fish now, I weighed the bag and it's 12 ounces. So knowing that, if I catch a big bass, or I think it'd be big enough even to put a walleye in there, I could, you know, first I would try and maybe get the inside of the bag wet so that would be easier. And just put the thing in the bag and, and then weigh it. You know, you can hang it onto that handle, weigh it quick and easy, and then dump it back in. I, I, that's my plan to be easier on the fish this year.
3: Yeah, they uh they've got a special uh scale now. It's, well, it's not a, so much a special scale, but it's a a, a, a a it's not a hook to to hang the fish on. It kind of clamps on to the lower lip of the fish um and like and a Boga grip. Those, huh?
4: Like a Boga grip.
3: Yes, exactly, exactly. And it doesn't harm the fish. So
4: yeah, that's a, In fact, uh, a buddy of mine had a Boga grip with the built-in scale, um, and yeah, so that I don't remember if that was a digital one or not. But there are ways to do it. Now, here's one one kind of a gripe I kind of have. You know, everybody, okay, we it's great everybody's catch and release muskies, and it's got it's more with inches length now. Seems like nobody really care what cares as much about the weight of a muskie, not like so much. In the days of the Vilas County Muskie Derby where they'd have the top 10 heaviest or whatever, um, I, I kind of like the weight thing more than length. I yeah. think, uh, you know, both are impressive. Now, if you get a long one that's also thick with a lot of girth and got that heavy weight, that's fantastic. But everybody's doing... They got like three different systems for taking the measurements, and then you can say, oh, it was 43.7 pounds and the, according to the formula. Well, those aren't 100% accurate. I would like a way to safely actually weigh the goddamn fish on a good scale so you actually have the weight. And I asked the DNR, I think it was Ben I was talking to years ago, similar to the fish bag concept. I said, what if I were to take just the, uh, the netting part of a big giant musky bag that's coated and everything to not hurt the fish and just get that netting and you get a giant musky, put them in that kind of a sack and then weigh the sa- the fish in the sack and he said yeah that'd be a perfectly good way to do it in fact that's the way the DNR evidently does weigh fish is they use some type of a sack type system but I would think having an actual type thing on board and a good scale and you want to have a bump board. Don't measure the musky over the body or vertical hold. Do it legit. Put it on the uh, on the board and get a good measurement and get a good weight. I, I just for accuracy' sake, that's the way. If I got a big musky, I wouldn't want to say, "Well, the formula says it was this." I want to know how how big that son of a gun was.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I think I think most people would, and. Uh... Those those uh, catch and release records, uh, you know, they go by inches, and it's like, yeah, they're fine, but let's face it, a a, a real record fish is by weight, you know. Yep. I mean, that's the way I look at it. It's by weight. I,
4: that's that's the way I would look at it too. And, well, listen, uh, we got
3: to go to our last break, Danny. One more break to go, and uh, before we hit the top of the hour, so folks, stay tuned. You're listening to Dan Bush and Tom Neubauer here at the Wacky Walleyes Cutting Edge Outdoors. It's the final countdown. The final countdown.
4: Welcome back to the final countdown of the Wacky Walleyes Cutting Edge Outdoors. And uh, once again, we thank all our listeners. Uh, We hope you had a good week and you got a better weekend coming up. Uh, A little rainy and crappy right now, but that's the way she goes in the spring there, Tom. And, Tom, I was going to mention something to you about taxidermy. Um, Yeah. Now, how many – you must have had fish mounted in your day,
3: correct? I wasn't – I mean, I had some mounters when I had my store. You know, I would just go out and catch a few fish just – you know, to have them put up in the store. But I, I've never been big into mounting fish.
4: Okay. I'd rather,
3: rather have pictures.
4: Okay, I, I got gotcha. you. Uh, now, I've got, uh, I've got I'm have got i looking right now at uh, my first, uh, you know, 11 and a half pound walleye on the wall. I got an 18 and a half pound brown uh, that I caught right in the Kenosha Harbor years ago. Uh, my big muskie is on the wall at uh, Midwestern Shooter Supply. If you go to the fishing department, looks really cool there. So I've got some some fish, um, but I am to the point now where I like to you know take pictures. Now, one thing when I did get my muskie done years ago, and that was 2003, I had people say, "Well, you know, you should have just let it go and get a graphite replica." Now back in the day, the graphite replicas at that time. I could look at it, and to me, it looked like a plastic fish because I could look yeah. at the mouth, and the mouth would be kind of like just nothing there—a big white mouth. You didn't—they didn't have the teeth like a, the real thing, so I could tell a skin mount right. a pike or muskie from the real deal, and I wanted the real deal. And, and Dan Johnson did a fabulous job on that, and a 22-pound pike that I got on Lake of the Woods. Um, but nowadays, well, then they—then what what happened was I talked to Lax and. Uh, Uh, Some of those guys, Fitante, I think. And they said, yeah, they were working on that. It's getting better. And sure enough, you look into the mouth now, and they got the teeth in there. And it's almost impossible from a distance to tell the difference between that and the skin mount. But when they first started doing it, you would have to go with the picture of your fish and the measurements. And then they had molds that they pre-made molds that they'd have to go through and find one that matched the size of your fish. And that was what you got. Well, now it's better because now they take your actual fish and they do a mold of your actual fish. So it's not like you, in the past you were, you know, let's say you wanted to you let it go and you came back with the picture and measurements and, you know, you got something approximate. Well, now if you do keep a fish and you want to get it done they really aren't into the skin mounts, especially especially for panfish. They can do a mold and then and then paint it afterwards, and you got something that's going to last forever.
3: Yeah, that's true. Forever is right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. But then again, you know, uh, a, a good fish taxidermist. Those those. I mean, look how old you know your your northern and your muskie is. You know, and they still look great. Right. You know, and yeah. they've been around a long time. My son. My son, my oldest son, who's 45, when he caught his first legal muskie, we were up in Manaqua, and uh, it make, it, he would have released it, but I was at the World Muskie Hunt Banquet that night, So, and he was out. He was only 15 years old. So basically, you know, it was a long time ago, 30 years ago, and he caught a, uh, it was 39 or 40-incher. And he wanted to show it to me, and he would have released it. He had the aerator going in the boat, but the battery finally died by the time I got back to the hotel. And uh, so I told him, you know, first legal muskie, I'll mount it for you. And he's had that for 30 years, and it looks like the day he got it. You know, it looks beautiful. So, you know, a lot of mounts can really look good after a long period of time, but you do have to be careful with them. You know, yeah, I guess you can you know, break some fins on them.
4: <laughs> yeah, the fins. Um, I, I always enjoyed going into up northern northern woods bars. And the first thing I would do is look at the fish on the wall. You know, it, it, it was always cool to see. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
3: they yeah. always got some up there.
4: Uh, although, of course, those bar fish, Tom, especially the old ones, remember in the days when people could smoke in a bar? Well... That what yeah. didn't do so well on either the fish or the deer heads on the wall.
3: Yeah, you're right. Yeah, the smoke will, will cause a problem with them, and if you have them in uh, in the sunlight, it can fade fade the the painting on it. You know.
4: Well, you know that that's interesting. I was I was talking to my uh, my hunting buddy Scott yesterday, and his son Stephen. Got a big buck mounted, and and it's up on the wall, and I got the picture of his big buck along with Scott's numerous big bucks. And I said, man, uh, you know, Stephen's buck, it looks a lot darker in coloration than yours. And he made the comment, and it sounds logical. He says, well, you know, I've had those mounts on the wall with the sun shining on them for a long time. He says, I think they actually kind of fade a little bit um, in color. Now, I know my carpet fades on my boat so i don't know i guess that's possible huh tom i mean paint can fade
3: right sure yes it can you better yeah. believe it can yeah and and especially in bars that where people are smoking or used to smoke in bars you know uh oh yeah that would do that would do some damage to mounts you know and you know it's funny when you see mounts from i mean a long time ago they they, they don't look so great you know the The art of taxidermy has uh, I mean, you you know, you just go to our friend Dan Johnson's taxidermy studio in Oconomowoc, and and you look at the beautiful mounts he does, whether they be skin or repose. I mean, the art of taxidermy has come a long way than what it was, you know, many, many years ago. You know, I'm talking 50, 60, 70 years ago. Come a long way. Did I, oh, are you still there, Danny?
4: I think we might have lost him.
3: Uh Uh-oh. I'll try reconnecting real quick. Yeah, I'll just keep on talking then. Um, As a matter of fact, the first, uh, I think it was the first fish I ever had mounted. I was, uh, you know, working at Bucyrus area at the time, and there was a guy there who said he was a taxidermist. And I caught this, my first six-pound bass, and I wanted to get it mounted. And he was giving me a great price on it, you know, compared to other places. So I went to his house and he showed me other fish that he said he did. I found out later he didn't. And then when uh, when my fish was done to be picked up, I went to pick it up and his wife gave me the fish and I said, well, that's not my fish. He says, oh yeah, it is. And I said, well, it doesn't look anything like <laughs> like the fish I caught, like the largemouth bass I caught. And uh, well, let's, let's put it this way. I had a uh, a a six-pound bass was as flat as a pancake, and it was uh, army green. So, <laughs> and if you know what mounted bass look like now, they they don't look like that. So we
4: got I, bushy back, Tommy. All got right. About another two minutes here.
3: All right, you got it. Oh, Danny, you're back, huh? Oh, you're
4: hey back. Sorry about that. I was that, just Tom. telling a quick um,
3: story about the first bass I had mounted.
4: I I guess we got two minutes. I'll I'll just reiterate what you just said make sure you go to a good taxidermist. Uh, Again, Dan Johnson does great on fish out here. He does game animals as well. But I had a buddy of mine years ago came came up from Tennessee, I think, and he caught a 48-inch muskie, and I was going to take it to a guy for him up by Green Bay, and he goes, no, 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 my taxidermist down back in Tennessee or where, Kentucky, whatever, says he can do it, he can do it. Well, later on the next year, he came back and he showed us this, picture polaroid picture of his musky and he thought it looked good he goes hey i got my musky and it does not look good it looked like somebody painted a musky like a carp
3: with brown
4: <laughs> spots yeah. it was bad man so yeah when,
3: when you were off the air i was telling about that first bass and it when i got it from this guy who said he was a taxidermist well he was a taxidermist but not very good it was as flat as a pancake it was actually flat uh, and it, it was uh, army green in color. It was. It didn't look anything like a largemouth bass that you would see now, you know, mounted, nothing right. like it. it. It was terrible, but, hey, lesson learned. You know, I was I was going on the cheap side, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know me, going on the cheap surp- side. What a
4: surprise.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if I was trying to get a deal, you know, what the heck, you know. And, oh, well. But, yeah, go to, go to a, the, if, you know, if you got a fish that's, worth mounting that you want to remember but you know see, that's the thing though i i think even if you have a mounted fish it's good to have a picture next to it just because of the fact that when you look at that picture you remember what you were wearing what what the day was like and you know all these other things that bring back memories you know Don, than just the, the fish hanging on the wall you just said picture, the key word yeah.
4: the key word is memories buddy yeah when you that's look at me. that deer head on the wall that fish it's not just the animal it's who you were with what friends how the day went on and that's what hunting and fishing and getting out is all about it's about making memories
3: that's right and well we just made another memory today another showdown in the books danny and that's all i got
4: that great you did a great job as usual tom and uh that's all i got as well
2: to all the listeners thanks for listening and god bless and stay
4: free everyone You've been listening to Wacky Walleyes, Cutting Edge Outdoors. We'll talk to you all next week, my friends.
2: Like a new moon rising fierce Through the rain and lightning Wandering out into this great unknown And I don't want no one to cry But tell them if I don't serve